Hello, Eds, and welcome to Third Eye. I love Eds. I think that's awesome. Third Eye, Ed. I do, too. Today, we have the pleasure and the honor of speaking with Myron Dweck. Uh, Heather, you know Myron quite well. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about him? Oh, gosh, Myron is amazing. You know, he's this teacher and administrator from BC, Canada. Um, he calls hats toques, which just makes me happy. He's been, you've probably heard of him. He's uh, hes done some keynote speaking in the, in the Midwest and throughout the United States, published a bunch of articles in Educational Leadership Magazine. He's the dude who wrote the Grading Smarter, Not Harder book that is like the, uh, the, uh, the go-to resource for feedback-only grading. Um, and he just had a new one that came out. I haven't even had a chance to read it yet called Giving Students a Say, Smarter Assessment Practices uh, to Empower and Engage. Well, let's get started. You, you gotta have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third Eye. On this episode of Third Eye, we're joined by Myron Dweck, speaking about how to get outside your educational silo. Stay tuned for excellent tips on how to engage in content outside of the typical educational norm, along with tools and tricks for yourself and your student. Welcome, Myron. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Let's go for it. First of all, Myron, thank you for joining us today. And we're really excited to have uh, your insight shared with our listeners. And to start us off, I, I just want to ask, in your book and in the article that you wrote for our Third Eye Education readers, you talk a lot about making a strong elevator pitch as an educator. And so it got us thinking, what would be your elevator pitch for why we should seek influence outside education? In other words, why should we get out of that education silo? You know, I mean, I could I could launch into all the buzzwords right now, you know, global connectivity and getting to know others and all that. But I mean... Go personal. I think some of the best teachers out there are not necessarily found in schools. My grandpa, for instance, taught me how to fish and he didn't have any, any education degree. And he, he kind of serves as a poignant example for me of the fact that there are wonderful teachers and incredible learning opportunities that exist way beyond schools. And <laughs> a few years ago, when the TSA agent asked me as I was entering the United States, he goes, he goes so what do you do for a living? And I told him I was a writer and a, and a school administrator. And he says, well, then what do you do in your spare time? And, and to cut this story short, we ended up getting into the fact that I'm into concrete walls and my daughter and I were welding her bed in the welding shop down below. And he gives me back my passport and he says, oh, well, that makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, so I, I walked back to him. I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he's like, Sure, sure, but usually it's the other way around. I said, you asked me what I did for a living, and I told you. Mm -hmm. And then and then you asked me what I did as a hobby, and I told you that. Then you said, well, that makes a whole lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Can I ask what you meant by that? And he goes, Mr. Duick, have you ever looked at your fingers? <laughs> and I looked and I, <laughs> I looked down at them, and they're all cracked, and there's there's welding residue under my nails. And he goes, those aren't the hands of a writer. Have a good, have a good day, welder dad. And I, I often share that with, with school groups as a bit of an icebreaker to assessment, because you know what? We're not the only people in the assessment yeah. business. Okay. Um, it's, it's done all over the place. So, you know, I, and I guess thirdly, Heather, um, 
I've, I've been reading uh, Morgan and Barden's book right now, A Beautiful Constraint. And, and they, they suggest nine ways that we can turn, we, we can't can into, well, we can if, and one of those nine ways I write about it in the article is, is if we access the knowledge of others. And I think we just have to do a little more of that. There's a lot of wisdom out there. There's a lot of directions out there. And I think we have a bit to learn. Like you talk about fishing. If you want to become a good fisherman, then you need to have a good fisherman for a role example, you know, that, that is inclined to share their secrets and their talents, you know, but you got to be a seeker of knowledge in some way, you know, and, and I think our challenge is helping kids to find the seeker in them, you know, what compels them to want to know more about something. And I guess that's the challenge of an educator is to spark that, that curiosity, you know, in kids. I think so, Mike. I, I can't agree more. And I, I think one of the good signs out there is that curriculum around the world is shifting to kind of a competency direction, you know, to explore, to evaluate, to to mm-hmm. investigate, as opposed to here's the content. Let me tell you, let me tell you all about it. And then you're going to tell it back to me, you know, because I can't agree. More, and I guess I'll just add to that as I think the system is is becoming more amicable to that approach. Yeah. Myron, you are you are so good at seeing educational connections from outside of education and and especially in airports. I don't know why that is. You just brought up this example today. And I one of the ones that I know you shared outside of this podcast is about a gentleman driving a droid of an airplane or something and you ended up stalking him on Facebook. Um, and that was all again, see you're better at the storytelling than I am, but you're so good at seeing outside of education, educational opportunities, just like you did in your your article about what we can pull from advertising. I'm wondering if there is a way that you have developed and enhanced that skill, because I think as educators and, and as educational leaders, that's a skill that a lot of us don't naturally intrinsically have. How can we kind of develop that and grow that skill that you seem to have so naturally done, at least it looks natural? I guess I'm always looking for the story. You know, maybe I should have done what you guys are doing, and that is explore this quasi-journalism and go seek it out. I think the stories are all around us, Heather, and there's two places you can go to be entertained for hours. One is an airport, and the other is a boat launch. Anybody who's ever been to a boat launch on a, <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon, like like just open up a can of pop and sit on the nearest bench and just watch. It's the best, you know, (laughs) families losing their crap because they're three hours late and the motor won't. Anyway, the story's always there, you know, and 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 you're referencing Joseph Lai. Yes. Yeah. I was sitting at the end gates, SeaTac airport. Oh, 2015, I bet. And here this guy is sitting beside me flying a, he's got a, like a big remote control device in his hands. He's flying a helicopter on a simulator and, and I just had to ask, you know, I, I, what are you doing? And it literally and figuratively launched into Joseph and I are still in contact. Joseph was a part of the ASCD documentary, Ask Them. We, we actually went and flew remote control helicopters in Spokane, Washington. And, you know, I, Heather, I think it's looking for the humanity. It's looking for the story. Can I share one of my most recent <laughs> airport stories? Please do. <laughs> so I, this was right before the pandemic broke and 
and I was walking across the tarmac and I think it was Delta airlines and me and this, there's this guy walking ahead of me and he's got his carry on bag <laughs> pulling behind him. And, and we get, we get out on the tarmac. It's super loud. And, and, um, the baggage handler, this woman approaches him and she goes, baggage tag, baggage tag. And it's funny because I was going to be going and meeting a group of teachers to talk about rubric design. And this is what was up. This is what, exactly what I was working on in the airport before we walked out there. Seriously, it was. And, and uh, I'm thinking to myself, man, this, she's just throwing a noun at him. This is content, right? <laughs> baggage tag baggage tag <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> so, so i i lean around him and i go rip off the baggage tag <laughs> and i just turned back to him and said man that dude needed a verb and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and and it's true of our students we in our rubrics we always we'll say things like uh topic sentence uh uh paragraph those are all nouns. Just give the poor kid a verb. Um, construct a topic sentence. Design or, or write a paragraph that's persuasive. So, you know, and the guy just like, oh, just breathed a fresh relief. He just needed a verb. So anyway, another airport story. <laughs> well, it, I, I think that's the title of your, your next book. Just give him a verb. Just give him a verb. <laughs> give him a verb. <laughs> Airport stories. And airport stories. Yeah. We've got book three oh. and four lined up, working titles already ready. <laughs> Nick, Nick, one of my dearest friends in our district says you need to simply write down your airport stories. So you're not the first, uh, you're not the first folks to suggest it. Those are some smart <laughs> folks. Earlier, you were talking about um, relationships. You talked about sprinkling in relationships. And in your piece that you wrote for Third Eye, you talked about elevator pitches and how your personal elevator pitch is something like, I empower my students through authentic learning experiences and engaging assessment practices. And in all that you do, you develop meaningful relationships with students um, so that they can mm -hmm. become confident learners, better prepared for whatever they might encounter. So those are your words. Um, so you seem to really want students to live beyond their silos too. Um, how do you how do you recommend getting students to really think outside and work outside those silos aside from throwing them a verb? Oh, and you, you mentioned your own curiosity got you out of your silos and Mike talked about the curiosity yes. of students. How do you foster that? Oh, you know, I, I think there's a variety of ways. And I mean, it, we could probably fill 10 podcasts with your, with the question you just asked. Okay. It's a <laughs> it's on. <laughs> Hang on. I'm having connectivity problems. I have to <laughs> That's the um, teaser right there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, right off the bat, I think about modeling, modeling the fact that there's relevancy all around us. And sometimes I think we have to bring that, that into our classrooms and you know you you can uh you can edit this out in, in case you need to obviously but um i, I knew a u-boat captain I, I found out there was a a german u-boat captain living near um near me and and i kind of have a passion for history anyway and i ended up looking this guy up and he was became one of my dearest friends and I asked, he on at least three different occasions visited my history 12 classroom, my grade 12 history classroom and described to students 
how exactly you go about stalking and sinking ships. And, and there are kids now, I know one of them, I bumped into him. I think he's now 30, 34. He just wrote me the other day, 35. He bumped into some of my stuff online and he referenced that U-boat captain in our classroom. You know, there's just no frame of reference for talking with somebody who's lived through that and, and who's had depth charges dropped on them and, explained to the students that they had that he had dropped you know um what was it 400 and something odd feet below the surface to try to escape and and students were just mesmerized and it wasn't about flashy visuals it wasn't about captivating uh slides it was an 87 year old man telling his story and i think i think my think my, my thinking goes there nick that we can model that there's so much outside our classrooms that's relevant. There's so much outside to learn, you know, um, and, th- and that's just one piece, you know, I, the other one is, I think I'm going to go back to competencies. We have to, we have to switch our view from being deliverers of content to people who use our subject area content to achieve greater things. So I have to look outside my classroom. It's not about memorizing Woodrow Wilson's 14 points and memorizing the points from the Treaty of Versailles, but rather asking students to say, evaluate to what extent they listened to Wilson when they were formulating that, that, that policy, because that's a skill they're going to be able to use all their lives, you know, like, you are renting an apartment and you have an insurance policy. Do those two documents jive? Do they go together? Are there contradictions? Well, they might've learned that in history 12, how to do that. You know, like, I guess that's what I mean by just looking outside, but we, we have to model it and we have to equip our students to go there too. If, if that makes yeah. any sense. Absolutely. I, I love the, uh, the mindset shift of content being a vehicle Mm-hmm. to teaching skills or, or larger uh, pieces. But it's a shame that we have to edit that all out because it's not an airport story. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, but, you know, also, Myron, when you were talking about working across content areas and, and you might have this insurance policy and it might have been something you learned in, in social studies class, one thing that, that Nick and I were, were working with some of our teachers um, just this past few days on Wednesday was about metacognition and Mm -hmm. some of the data on metacognition that thinking about your thinking talks about how in order to get to a place where you can take a learning from one piece and shift it to another area you can you can um, apply that that knowledge to another um, another silo of sorts you have to have that metacognition so uh, have you seen that at all this teaching kids how to think about their thinking, having that ability to get out of a silo? Yeah, you know, a word that pops into my mind automatically is, is the transfer, right? You can learn things in one silo, and the question is, can you transfer them outside of it? Absolutely, I'm, I'm seeing signs of this. You know, when we invite students into the realm of assessment, and I, and I know I'm going to tap the door open here on the book I've written recently, if, if we're going to invite students into that realm, I think it's unavoidable that they're going to be thinking about their thinking. They're going to be 
there's going to be wonderment around. So how do I best learn this? And, and I think the further we allow students to get involved, the more that's going to happen. And I can't look at a better example outside the silo than our hobbies and passions. You talk to anybody about their hobby. Like, okay, Nick, I'm going back to airports. So, so <laughs> I'm sitting beside this guy on the plane and, and he was like, we were talking for a while and I don't know how we struck this up, but you know, what's a question I often ask people now, uh, if, if the conversation's kind of dying down. So what are you into? What's your hobby? Oh my goodness. Does that go to interesting places? And the guy sits there and he says, you know, I've never had anybody ask me that on the plane. I go, well, let's go there. What are you, what, what are you into? Steering wheels. I said, excuse me, <laughs> steering wheels. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> was kind of speechless. Well, turns out the guy owns 300 steering wheels and he's got wow. steering wheels from, you know, the one of the first Model T Fords. He's got a steering wheel from a Formula One race car. He's like, well, there went, there went 45 minutes of me just absolutely pummeling him with questions. <laughs> and, um, Heather, what was the, what, what what were we discussing? And I, this had some segue <laughs> to steering wheels. This was a Nick question. Well, and and I have to say, I I, I think that you model this very well, right? You you are <laughs> uh, kind of doing synecdics. You're using metaphor and allusion and similes to connect uh, a learning to other things, right? You're you're building yeah. the connections for your reader, for your well, listener. I do think we do imprint. We we get imprinted sometimes with something that just for whatever reason sparks us, you know, and, and so for some reason that gentleman steering wheels got involved somehow and imprinted some fascination, yeah. let's face it. But you know, as teachers, I learned long ago, there's things that you've said to a kid that they'll come back, like, like your, your student that reached out to you and reflected on something you talked about a long time ago in a lesson. And they remember the thing that you go, Oh, I barely even yeah. remember talking about that, but for that person, it made such a difference. And, and that's why when I've talked to staff, I've talked about the fact that we have the chance to really make a huge difference in someone's lives. And sometimes we have no idea what it is we did that changed their trajectory. Oh, so true. You know, Mike, yeah. you, you've pushed another button for me. And I remember why I was talking about the guy with steering wheels. My point, my point before was if you want to see, incredible learning occur. Just talk to somebody about their hobby or their passion or their pastime. But my point being is that they are incredibly involved in that learning. They're the ones investigating. Yeah. They're the ones pushing. They're the ones that are just seeking it out. And I think Nick or Mike, one of you mentioned earlier, curiosity. And, and that's, oh man, if you could sprinkle curiosity around, like my cousin always says, he owns a tractor dealership in, in Manitoba. And he says, if you want anything out of people, you want curiosity. He said, he said that for years. And I said, you know what, Alex, it, it's, uh, hmm, yeah, that one's sinking in. I, I think it's so true. And, and Mike, the button you pressed, can I tell a story? Yeah. Okay. It's so true what you said. You don't know what impact you're going to have. Uh, when I was a vice principal at, at a local high school here a few years ago, there was a girl we were working so hard to keep her in school. And, and you know what? The, the day came where 
my office door got slammed after a meeting and the hinges got a really good workout and she went out the door swearing a blue streak about all of us and and I just sat there in my office I remember it I just had my hands kind of just covering my eyes going man how did that one why can't we be successful and a teacher walked by my office and he said chin up Myron he had watched the whole thing he says uh she's gonna probably have kids one day you know that eh and I'm like yeah and I said you know Maybe what you did over the last few weeks, you didn't win this battle, but she's going to have a little girl putting her bag over her shoulder and going out the door one day. And maybe you just impacted what she's going to say to that. You know, mommy didn't make all the best decisions in school, but there were some good people there now that I look back at it. And listen, you, you, you do well today, okay? That's what he said to me. And it, it changed the way I viewed wins and losses sometimes that, you're so right, Mike. I mean, you, you've been in this thing called education a little longer than I have, I bet. And you're, and you're going to have a wealth of wisdom and stories, but, but that's one that really resonated with me that we don't always know the impact we're going to have down the road. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I have a story for you now. And I know this is nice. All right. So here's my story. And I save this for teachers that are new in the field sometimes because it, it was it changed my trajectory. And so I'm going to take it back to 1973. Sweet. <laughs> my, hair, my hair is down to here. Yeah. I had hair. It was long. <laughs> the guidance counselor sat down with me and uh, it was 10th grade, I think it was. And uh, she's looking at my, she's got a file with my grades and things like that on it. And she says, well, Mike, what are you, what are you planning to do? What is your, what's your plan for the future? And I, I come from a family of eight kids and, and every one of them, you know, the oldest, my oldest, everyone's gone to college. That's what we're doing. That's what we do. So I said, I'm going to go to college. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's my plan right now. And she, and she looks back in her folder and then she goes, Mike, you know, college isn't for everybody. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I couldn't believe what she told me because I was convinced that she doesn't know me. She sees that piece of paper. And I was just an average student. I was not knocking them out of the park. I wasn't failing, but I was just average, you know. And I knew I could be better than that. And uh, I thought she sees me as this long-haired uh, kind of, I wouldn't say hippie, but long-haired kid that didn't have direction. And from that point on, I said, I got to change this. I got to change. I didn't change my look exactly, <laughs> but I changed my attitude because I wanted people to see me as who I thought I was, not who they, they thought I was. And for our podcast listeners, Mike still has long hair. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. ACDC <laughs> shirt. So there you go. That's, but that impacted me from that point on, and it made me an educator ultimately. Yeah. But I, I never was at, at that point. I never thought about being a teacher. So, like I said, what a difference that made in my life. It turned me around completely. Yeah. You know, Myron, you were talking a lot earlier about hobbies and, and how asking people about their hobbies really gets shows their passion. And, and a work life balance is really hard right now in a pandemic. We have a lot of teachers um, even pre-pandemic, um, who, who struggle with that work-life balance. And so to say, to have that hobby and to fuel that hobby and, and to bring that passion from that hobby into play, 
so in order to cross these different silos and to transfer knowledge to really pull into the passion of hobbies and such, how do we, how do we do that and, and encourage that with a staff who struggles with finding time for anything other than, than work in their lives? Nick, will you translate for me? You yeah. speak my language fluently. Yeah. Uh, uh, how do you help teachers have a better work-life balance? Mm. Okay. You know, it, it's, I, uh, I picked up a article, uh, believe it was called, and I can always send it your way. It was online, 10 ways to increase your resiliency. Um, uh, one fellow was out of Mount Sinai university, Chadwick and Stevens or something like that. Anyway, they had 10 suggestions, um, and I shared these with my own staff at the beginning of this school year, just looking at people coming in the door. You know, we have, we have students in session, but they look like they'd, they, they had looks on their faces coming in the first week. Like you'd see teachers going out for the summer holidays. Like they were already tired. They were already anxious and so on. We just had everybody read the article quickly and then connect with somebody about something of the 10 things. What's something they were doing that was working for them and what's something they would start to work on. And, um, you know, it's just amazing once you, once you kind of show people some of the research around how important it is to get out and go for a hike or, or get out on that bicycle or, or to go connect with, with, with friends and make it non-education. It's almost like we need the permission for it or something like, yeah. like you, you, you got to find the balance between doing that one more thing but also looking out for yourself. Um, when I was teaching in New Zealand, I was, uh, I, I taught in New Zealand in 1998, 1999. Uh, my wife and I just got married and we thought, oh, let's just really shake up the Yahtzee little thing and see where the dice go. And um, some people are like, Yahtzee, what? Look it up. Um, and, <laughs> and, and we just, we just threw the dice on the table and it came up New Zealand quite literally. And, and so, I was having a quite a terrible time there. I had taken over a class that was just off the rails. Only when I got there did they tell me that the teacher had left on stress leave and the one before that had left on stress leave also. So, I mean, I'm, I'm on the other side of the world. Uh, there's no going back. And one day I had my hands again on my face and I was at, it was a Friday and uh, my colleague, John Liggett, John was at the very, very end of his teaching career in New Zealand, and he came walking over, and he goes, Myron, I bet you were just a crackerjack teacher wherever you came from, weren't you? <laughs> I go, I was ready. I could have just sworn at him. And I go, yeah, you know, John, it was. He was, oh, yeah, no, you came walking on in here, got the, got the world by the tail. He says, and these kids are walking all over you right now. He says, yeah. You're going to have to show a wee bit of structure and a, and a wee bit of, of, of a little bit of tough love here with this group. They're walking all over you. And then you're going to probably be able to be your friendly, good-natured self. But here's the thing, Myron. You don't start looking out for yourself. You're not going to be able to look out for anyone. Yeah. And, you know, John passed away a couple, few years ago. I got notice he was going to come and we were going to drive the prairie together. And turns out he, he had a... Uh, an illness and, and, and he's not with us anymore, but I'll tell you, you don't know how many young teachers I have told that line to now. If you don't, if you don't start looking out for yourself, you're not going to look after anyone. 
And I think all of us have to have to drink a little bit of the John Liggett Kool-Aid sometimes and mm-hmm. and get out there and look after yourself. Get some exercise, pick up a hobby, go see, go, go have a beer at the pub with a friend once in a while and have a laugh. Like, yeah, John Liggett had a point there. I think uh, I think you're so right about that. And uh, in a pandemic now, teaching in a pandemic has shifted a silo to a bunker these days. Oh, isn't that true? So just, I think people do need to kind of be given permission in a way because they've forgotten how to relax sometimes because we're, well, I got my phone, I've got, you know, I'm constantly connected. So, you know, trying to get yourself to disconnect. We, We almost have to put out a memo to tell teachers, do not check your email from Friday to Sunday night, yep. <laughs> you know, yep. and just be away, be present wherever else you are, you know, because it's hard. It is hard to disconnect otherwise. Well, you know, Mike, I had a teacher email me, uh, uh, direct message me on the back channel on Twitter one night when I said, uh, you know, I, there was this talk going on for an hour from six till 7 PM on something or other. And and I said, oh, my son's going out to a uh, mountain bike ride. I'm going to go join him. I'll catch you guys next time. And it was like 15 minutes in or something. And uh, a teacher direct messaged me and said, thank you for saying that. The kind of thing, like I needed that that day. Like I'm, I'm in and, and don't get me wrong. They're wonderful. Like, but, but every hour of the day, there is a chat of some kind on, on Twitter on the weekends where, where people are sitting around going, I think we need to form stronger relationships with kids. And then, and then there's 25 hashtags afterwards of people going, yeah, I think that's true. And it's like, it's, that's great to say, but for goodness sakes, shouldn't you be canoeing in some river right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, hey, Myron, we're getting kind of towards the end of our time. So we want to uh, finish with something that we're, tr- we're trying out on you for the first time. You're a guinea pig. All right. So, all right. Uh, it's this set of three rapid fire questions. We're calling it in the oh, blink boy. of three eyes. Okay. In the blink of three eyes. That's right. What podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately? Um, A Beautiful Constraint by Barden and Morgan. Mark Barden joined my leadership class the other day, and on Zoom, he said to a room with 30 or 40 high school students in it, 2020 could turn out to be the greatest gift our uh, civilization has ever had. This is simply a dress rehearsal for bigger problems we're going to encounter, and we will we will survive. Woo, amazing. Changed my that students' is, thinking. What a message. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's in the article, too, and that was a, a favorite part of it. Well, he just, Nick, he just said, I, I know it's supposed to be in the blink of three eyes, but he goes, when in any recent memory has the entire world faced a very, very similar problem? Doesn't matter how much money you have, you can get COVID. I mean, you have a better chance of fighting it with money, but it's it's global. Every country, every person has it on their mind. He said, climate change, There, there's one. He said, this is a dress rehearsal for how we can do this. Oh, mm-hmm. what a gift. I love it. We really value innovation. What is one innovation that you've recently or would like to see? I think this is one anybody can do. Um, John Hattie. I was interviewing John Hattie for our ASCD documentary called Ask Them. And John has been just so generous to write the forward to my book. He said this, 
What if we gave students feedback, stopped, and then asked them to interpret the feedback they just received? Hmm. In their own words, what do they understand and what will they do next? <gasps> like, like, like the cloud separated and a, and a beam of light shone down. You don't need an iPad to do that. You don't need a computer. You need to stop and ask a question and do some listening. That's what I'm going with. And listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be? I suggest they start a three-month introspection to coin an elevator pitch for their classroom, for their school, for their course, for whatever, and then live it. Like, why should someone be with you doing this? Coin the elevator pitch, then live it. That's awesome. I thought you were going to say they should go to an airport. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Myron Dweck for joining us today. And as always, to Heather Light, Michael Carlin, and Nick Truxell for hosting. Big thank you to Dover Yoda for continuing to support this podcast. Thank you to Michael Terrell for writing our jingle. Next time, we will see you for a discussion with Lisa Jones-Moore and Victoria Gillis, nationally renowned literacy researchers. We'll see you then. Until next time. This is Third Eye.